What is going on, guys? It's Nick McHenry, and welcome to another episode of Retail Coffee Break. With the fall season in full force, I could not think of a better guest than Dane Cohen of Management One to talk about how are you thinking about this upcoming fall season from your inventory planning, your buy planning, as well as now that trade shows are back in person, how should we be thinking about them? I had such a good time talking to Dane, so I hope you enjoy. Let's do this. What's up, everybody? I am here with the man himself, Dane Cohen, retail industry expert. He's worked for Project Trade Shows, Helmut Lang, and now he's at Management One, not to mention growing up in the industry, working for your family business, the storied New York retail or retailer, Lester's. What's up, Dane? Thanks for coming on. How you doing, Nick? What did I miss there? What did I miss about the story of Dane? You coming up through the industry? You know, I th- I think you oversold it a bit, but other than that, you you pretty much got it. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a retail baby. All right, so let's let's start at the basics. So you're a Management One now. What exactly is Management One? What do you guys do? I mean, we work together very closely, but tell the audience kind of what you guys do at Management One. Right. So yeah, as you said, we definitely have the pleasure of working with with one shop and, and you directly. But for people that don't know what Management One does, we work with independent retailers across North America and globally, in fact, to help with merchandise planning. Uh, inventory planning, and really the intelligence of your data, right? So the way I like to look at it is if you look at any major retail institution, right? You look at the big dogs, whether that be a Target, a Macy's, a Bloomingdale's, any major retailer or even large independent retailers have some sort of planning division in place, right? They are looking at their business with a fine-tooth comb and they are you know, planning every category down to the socks, Right. So independent retailers, there's this huge gap because what the successful formulas of how to bring merchandise in, you know, set markdown allowances, you know, this is something that is a very specific skill. Right. And as we know, most independent retailers are kind of a one man band. So I like to think of it as you have an owner and they could be an owner. They're the top seller. They're going out into the market and they're buying. And when the toilet breaks, they're getting in there and they're cleaning it themselves, right? We've all been there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what what we do at Management One is we really help retailers through a mix of planning with, you know, we have really sophisticated software called Retail Orbit that we're helping plan. We have a team of planners who are overlooking every plan that goes out. And we have retail coaches who work with our independent retailers in order to bring their attention to the right information in their data. And, you know, we were talking about this the other day that data is a really tricky thing, right? Because there's two, there's two sides of data, right? The first hurdle is you have to pull your data and you have to look at your data. So, you know, I, I always like to say you have these really complex POS systems that have this really rich reporting. And there are definitely retailers out there, um, and this is no judgment, but there are definitely retailers out there that are not utilizing those fantastic reports. Right. Um, so that's the first hurdle. And then the second hurdle is if you are pulling those reports and you're looking them at, uh, at them on a regular basis, what conclusions are you making and are you making the right conclusions? Yeah. I mean, if that, I mean, we know this, right? I mean, if you, you might have done everything right until the last moment. And if you make the wrong conclusion, 
it was all for nothing. You know, if you choose the wrong, you know, strategy off of that or the wrong buying plan, I mean, it's completely broken. So essentially what you guys do is you say, listen, all the big guys, they have this. They have teams of people doing this and we got you. Like, yes, you can probably, you can do this all on your, on, on your own. You can pull your reports. You can do the analysis, but don't even worry about it. We've got you. We've got the software. We've got the team. We've got the expertise. We'll do all that for you. We'll be your inventory planning partner. In a nutshell, you got it. And listen, there's always pen and paper inventory planning, um, but that's a difficult thing. And it all folds back into this idea of, you know, you are so overwhelmed as an independent retail owner, right? And I, at least I've been there. Um, I know I know a lot of people can relate, and that's something that we hear. And the number one thing I hear at, at when I talk to clients, when I talk to prospective clients, is I feel like I'm just winging it, right? Right. And that winging it, that intuition, that gut, that retail kind of connectivity, that could get you a long way. Right. Yeah. Right. If, if you kind of know your customer and you know what your customer is looking for and you're going out into the market and you have a connection to the product, it could probably get you a good amount of traction on your business. Yeah. But there comes a point where the science of retail is the science of retail. Yeah. And you know, you got to play by the rules sometimes. Yeah. It's that balance of art and science. You know, that's what retail is. And you can be the best person ever at the art and it will get you a certain distance, but you show me that person and you add science to it. You add the data, you add the numbers. It's just going to go crazy after that. You have to have both sides to it. And if you don't, you have to know that you don't have both sides to it. Right. And go find people like you guys or some other support system to do that for you. You know, and, and I worked with um, Management One when I was on the, the client side, right? So mm-hmm. I was a client of Management Management One's and, you know, when I was a retailer. And the biggest thing that I would say is, you know, there's this, oh, consultant. There's like this kind of like, oh, that's a big commitment. It's a big engagement. And what we've really done is be able to kind of... Um, make it approachable and make it accessible for retailers of all sizes. So, you know, we could have a retailer that's doing, you know, under 500,000 in revenue yearly. And we have retailers that are doing over a hundred million, right? right. So there, there's that accessibility and catering that kind of consulting and planning to what the needs are of the, the retailer. Right. So let's talk about what's happening right now, because you guys are inventory oh, consultants <laughs> and I would say that in the history, I shouldn't say the history of retail because, you know, retail has been around forever, but at least in our lifetimes, this is the most, you could say, interesting time for inventory planning. There's been so much that's happened over the last, you know, year and even going into the next year or the next two years. So let's take it back. What was your guys' response, you know, from an inventory side when, you know, shit hit the fan? It was like, I mean, sales went to zero. How do you plan for something like that? You know, listen, of course, as you said, this was a and continues to be a a really interesting time for the industry. Right. And so I just go back to that sentiment that I was that I was sharing with you earlier about retailers feeling like they're winging it. So imagine winging it when your business is fairly stable. Right. Imagine winging it in 2018 where, you know, Maybe your business is increasing by a certain percentage each year. You're seeing steady growth. You're seeing a healthy, healthy business, right? And even the healthiest of business then go into this pandemic, right? And everything goes haywire. So now take that term winging it and apply it to the most 
unpredictable of all scenarios. And how do you think a lot of retailers felt, right? So what the, uh, and this doesn't go for management one, this goes for any type of planning, any type of methodical planning of your business, you're going to be able to react in a science-based way, right? So you're not just shooting from the hip and saying, take all my inventory to zero or put everything on markdown, right? You're really looking at your data again right. and making those correct conclusions. And one of the interesting facts, and you know, when, when we kind of, um, you know, as the pandemic winded down a little bit from a, from a sense of store closures, you know, and things started op- opening back up, we took a look at how we fared over, over the pandemic. And one of the most interesting statistics that we walked away with, with was our clients came within 1%, under 1% to their plan. Wow. So that ability to react in real time, with real people, right? Because it's not just a computer algorithm. A computer algorithm, you can't type in right. uh, pandemic, right? Yeah. You can't. <laughs> what do you do right. when yeah. a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic hits the retail industry? Yeah, the, the limit does not exist, right? <laughs> so, um, so to be able to work with people that can get the color of your business and really what's happening in real time, right? Yeah. Um, because some retailers were opening, let's say, you know, they, they pushed everything to e-commerce or yeah. some retailers were selling really well in certain categories. You know, we saw the outdoor business, outdoor retailers over the course of, you know, the time where there was, um, you know, shopping was closed and everything else, they really succeeded because people were going outdoors, right? So they needed gear and they needed clothing and they needed all this outdoor equipment. So if an outdoor retailer kind of just said, I, I, I'm there's this situation happening and I'm taking my inventory down. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's look at what's happening as a trend in the industry. Let's look at what's your customers doing right now. And then let's methodically plan on how we could get the most juice out of this pretty shitty situation. Right. So, I mean, that's crazy that you were within 1% of the intended plan. Was there anything specifically that could be applied to a variety of retailers that you guys did from the ABC standpoint that you can share that, help contribute to that? Because that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty incredible. The fact that you're able to pull it off. Was it canceling off orders? Was it just vendor negotiations? Was it just looking at what's working and then, you know, trying to feel that more? I mean, like from a more tactical standpoint, what were some of those actions you took? Yeah. I, I mean, listen, I, I want to be able to give you a silver bullet answer, right? But there's not. But there's not. Yeah. And, and that's the beauty of, of planning, right? You're planning for your business. And, you know, we have the added benefit and I, 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 I really speak to this as planning in general. Um, so I, I don't want to, um, you know, I want to kind of give Bravo to retailers out there that are, you know, out there on the front lines and they're planning themselves. You know, it's a very difficult thing to be able to really dig in and accomplish. Mm But, um, what what we are able to do is we have a really nice overview of the industry, right? Because we see what's happening in real time with thousands of retailers across North America. Mm-hmm. So within different verticals, within different um, you know specialties. So we could kind of see what's trending across really broad lines and then help bring that information in to retailers, right? Um, and then again, it, it just kind of goes to that. If you're an outdoor retailer, right, your strategy is going to be different than if you're a women's retailer, right? Right. right. It, it's just a different strategy. Or I, I'll give you um, another, for instance, children's retailers, right? You saw baby sales on e-com go right. 
because people are giving birth still, yep. right? The pandemic's not stopping yep. someone that's pregnant from giving birth. So baby's being born and they need clothing for that baby, yep. right? So people were going online and trying to buy, buy, buy. Um, so I, it, it, there's not a one size fits all solution, mm-hmm. but the, the important thing is again, that you're the, that two step of the data, right? That you're pulling your data and you're really analyzing it. And then you know what conclusions to make from those, from those data points, right? So right. if, if, um, you know, let's take evening wear, if, if evening wear, Okay, all of a sudden you're going to get stops because no one's going out. What do you do with that? Right. Yeah. So there's going to be a different strategy for that than there is for, um, you know, take again that that example of the outdoor goods. So let's let's dig into that, because I know you and I have had separate conversations on this because we at one shop, I, I think a lot of retailers look at inventory planning on a brand level or I mean, they'll look at brand and category and they'll look at a bunch of different things. Uh, I know for our retailers, a lot of their focus is like, what are my top selling brands? How do I leverage that top selling brand and do more with that and help me to get rid of some brands that I'm not doing so well in? But you guys look at it from a category and you probably kind of reference this with the evening gowns. What's the thought process behind that? Or what's the benefit, I guess, to retailers to look at it from a category basis versus maybe other other parameters? So this is one of my favorite little, little kind of micro retail topics. But... Um, The best way that I can address this, because we get this all the time, right? And by the way, you should know how your vendors are performing, right? right? No one's saying don't understand. You know, we have a a great tool that we use that's actually available, and I can send it to you to to send out to anyone. It's a vendor scorecard, right? Yeah, that'd be great. Um, Which which is a great tool for people to look at, because you want to know how your vendors are stacking up. But vendors and brands come and go, right? Um, Categories generally don't change. Right. So a skirt is a skirt is a skirt. Yeah. If you're selling the best, your best brand ever and they're, they do really strong in skirts and they go bankrupt or they pull your distribution, your customers are not like, no, nah, we actually didn't want skirts. We, we just wanted the, their skirts. Usually there's some continuity to, continuity to that you're saying. Right. And you know, a buyer has to buy as a customer shops. Right. So a buyer buys as a customer buys. Right. So if you're a customer and you're walking into a retail store, let's say you're, you know, you're a woman walking into a store. You know, most likely you're saying, I'm looking for a top to yeah. wear out. And then you drill down, right? So what type of top? Well, I have a date night, right? So I'm looking for a some type of blouse or I'm looking for something a little bit more novelty. I'm not looking for a basic, right? right. Or you're a guy and you're walking into a, a store and you have a wedding coming up. So you need a right. suit for that wedding. Yeah. Now, a, what a brand's going to tell you, and this is why brand are so important from the clienteling point of view. A brand that a customer likes is going to give you a lot of information about that customer. Mm-hmm. So if you're a female who loves Love Shack Fancy, right? It's very floral. It's yeah. very um, bold prints. It's very flirty. Um, if you love Love Shack Fancy and you have that information in there on a client, then that's a fantastic way to say, hey, if you love X brand, you really got to see Y brand. Exactly. And I think I think not enough retail. I mean, Obviously, the best retailers are doing this every day. But I think for some reason, a lot of retailers are almost scared of that move from their favorite brand because it's their favorite brand. But you're right. Even in a brand scenario, I would say if what we see is a brand is the best way to get the customer coming back. You know, you show up because you, you show up to the Drake concert because you want to see Drake, but then you fall in love with the opener while you were there. But you went there to see the Drake concert. You're not there because of the opener that you've never heard of. Totally. But retailers like 
they have that trust with their customer. They're the expert. They're the curator. So if you say, yeah, like, why don't you try this brand Alexis? There's the people that buy Alexis love, love, check fancy. And then most customers trust the retailer in that sense. And now if they buy both, you now have two brands that they love and the double ways to get them to shop again uh, on that sense. Right. Because if you think about it, a, 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 um, per, a customer isn't walking into a store because the, the store banner says we sell skirts, right? <laughs> right. Well, what that could, do you sell a $10 skirt? Yeah. Do you sell a $7,000 skirt? There's a huge variety within skirts. So what the color, what, what the customer will identify with is the brands that you mm-hmm. carry. But once they get in there and there's kind of one exception, denim is a really brand. Right. People are very loyal in, in the denim industry. Um, so you know, and that's something that is there's definitely trends within denim, but denim pretty is people stay pretty brand loyal within denim. You know, there's hot brands, there's brands that flare up, right? So you got to keep on top of it. It's not immune to um, kind of the ebb and flow of trends. But um, so again, that that customer is identifying with the brands, but once they know, okay. If you sell a Lexus and Love Shack Fancy, that's kind of in my wheelhouse. Now I'm coming into your store because I identify with you. Right. Right. But I'm looking for a skirt. Yep. Yeah. It's like the follow on once that first part's kind of passed and you've gotten past the relationship of that. And so to plan for this, and this is where it gets back to the art of retail versus the science of retail, right? Yep. So if we tell you that you have to come into the spring 2022 season with $25,000 of inventory and skirts on your floor. Okay. That's the science, right? The re and this is what a lot of people say to me. Well, if I plan my business, where's the room for the creativity? Right. Okay. Like I'm buying $22,000 of skirts. Now I got to go in and hit that number or whatnot. Right. But you create the story within that budget. Right. right? So if you're walking in and there's a new brand that you see and you just love it. Right. And you say, I have to have this. This is a knockout. Go buy it. right? Right. You know, you know, your customer, that's the art of it. Yeah. Or if you walk into your biggest brand's collection for spring 2022 and you look at their skirts and you go, this is hideous. Right. Which happens. Yeah. Which happens. Yeah. Um, you don't need to just spend money on that category just because they've performed for you in the past. Right. Yeah. If, if you as a retailer in your gut and as a buyer are walking into a showroom and say, my customer is not going to react to that. Yeah. I, I, I don't foresee this as something that my customer is going to love or connect with. And this is not the product that they're looking for. That's the art. And then the science comes back to, let's say you go into the showroom, you don't love the skirts, you don't want to buy them. The answer is not, well, I guess we're just buying less skirts this season because the answer is those dollars have to go somewhere because our customers need this many skirts from all the numbers that are telling us this. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and there is that, I love this art science yeah. right yeah. conversation because one, they're not mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they, they should be coexisting in order for you to maximize your business. And, you know, one of the things that we like to say is everybody deserves to know their full potential as a retailer. Right. Right. And unless you are, you know, looking at this data and planning forward and looking at your sales trends, um, which we do kind of 12 months out, you're not going to know your full potential. So let's talk about spring summer 22 because that's the season that we're in right now going into the buying season for spring summer 2022 we mentioned that last year sales went to zero you guys did an amazing job navigating it but just as quickly as it went to zero in the last three months at least the retailers we've we work with we've seen them go to 
infinity to to seems like the moon to to the highest numbers for some stores they've ever had since the retail resurgence post pandemic. Um, Do we have a name for it yet? What are we what are we I, calling? I don't know. What are we calling this? I, I think we I, I've kind of landed on the post pandemic boom. Po- I like that. That's it's good, like right? the baby boom, but the post pandemic. I like that. I, I would vote for that post pandemic boom. Okay, which I'm sure there will be a baby boom as well. There, I think there already has been a yeah. baby boom. People were home for eleven. We're not going to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> or a divorce boom. Or yeah, or that's a good point. <laughs> one, one of the other. One of the other. You either yeah, you either got divorced or had a baby. Well, which is funny because retailers, a lot of them sank or sw- swam, right? Yeah, that's true. Right, people that walked in, you know, people that walked into the pandemic over leveraged. Yeah. Had a really hard time surviving. Yeah. Or making it through. Yeah. Right. If if you came in and your store was fully stocked, uh, where were we? We were in March of 2020. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you had your spring goods sitting on the floor and not a dollar to your name because all your goods were in your inventory and your cash flow is poor and you're over leveraged, going through that pandemic with stores closing was a very scary thing. Super, super painful. Yeah. I feel like that was the thing that changed on my side mentally is just this shift to exactly what you're saying, where even if things are normal, I feel like at any given time now mentally, and I think a lot of retailers I've spoken to have this, I think, what would I do if things went to zero tomorrow? And equally, what would I do if things skyrocket tomorrow? And it's almost like these two extremes mentally, just having like, not a plan B and a plan C, but just sort of knowing that these things are possible. It's kind of an interesting, I think, psychological shift from a strategic standpoint. Yeah, right. So, I mean, so what are you guys doing? Like, what are you guys seeing in the market or what are you guys, you know, seeing people respond to when they're looking at their numbers from the planning side, the science side, and they're saying, okay, in 2019, I had sales of this. In 2020, I had less sales. In 2021, I have double the sales I had in 2019. What do I do with these numbers? They don't make sense. Right. So, it, and listen, it's it's a little scary, right? Yeah. Like it's a, a little scary. Like how do I kind of plan forward? And I, and I think that the, there's there's an expression which is so perfect for this. And of course, I'm not getting it in my head right now. And I'll probably like right as we're about to end, I'll come back to it. <laughs> but but the mantra kind of is what you don't want to happen is you don't want to take your your inventory back to a level where now you're scared to buy, right? Because you're scared that you're not going to hit these 2021 numbers, right? Right. So you kind of scale your inventory back um, and then you don't have enough inventory to produce sales because what you're going to, what I think we're still definitely going to be seeing into, you know, the next year or two out is production issues, right? Um, And and by the way, that's across the spectrum. That's not just, just retail. You know, I was talking to a friend who owns a restaurant, can't get takeout boxes. Yeah. Right. Because there's such shortages of production. So he's been putting in his normal order for takeout boxes and they can't fulfill them. So now... You know, yeah, you're sitting and, and and so the similar logic works for retailers, right? There's going to be continued to be interruptions in the produ- production and supply chain. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you go in with a a very timid orders, right? Because you think, okay, maybe things are going to normalize, maybe they're going to balance back to like 2019 numbers pre pandemic, and you take a step too back, and then there are production issues, mm-hmm. right? You may be caught in spring 2022 with not enough inventory to keep up with your business. Right. Um, so again, this, there's not a silver bullet answer here, but it's about 
breaking your business into categories, understanding what's performing for you, going after the things that are working mm-hmm. and really putting stock into them. And then, you know, there's the age old, like when you're in season and, you know, for us, when, when you're kind of, uh, when you're synced up to our system, we're updating plans in real time, right? Yep. So if you're selling jackets or selling through the roof, you're open to buy is going to open or so we're looking at things in real time. Right. Right. And, you know, you got to chase goods. You're going to have to chase goods. And this is where relationships with vendors become really. I was just going to ask that. Are you are you seeing people because the vendors had a hard time or challenging time, I would say, during the pandemic, too. Are you hearing out there that, you know, there's more conversations around this whole flexibility of inventory, whether it comes from a return standpoint or taking more aggressive bets on vendors? Are you hearing the vendors sort of be a little bit more willing to give some of those agreements or listen, I think everyone had to loosen the valves right yeah. over. Um, and, and I think any good retailer was or, or vendor at that were in constant communication and seeing where they could come to agreements, yeah. right? Can we send back some merchandise? Can you swap us into, to new season goods? Like what can you do for us? And I think the people that came through this were the people that had really strong relationships. Yeah. And so you know, as beautiful as the entire digital um, buying landscape is, which we've seen things that will continue to permeate through the industry. Yeah. And retail is historically not the most tech adaptive industry. Yep. Right. Re- it, it's it's really funny because we're on the cutting edge of so many things. And then with technology, I mean, you still still people with punch cash registers sitting in front of their store. It's really interesting because, you know, as a founder of a tech company, we think about these things and like how can tech solve these problems? And you're totally right. So much of these, okay, I'm going into spring, 20, spring summer 2022. I need to double my last season's order. If things go bad, so much of that is being able to pick up the phone to call your vendor because you have a great relationship with them because you've had dinner with them before in person and say, listen, I really need you to help me out here. Like, let's figure something out to make this work. Yeah. It's almost like, it's almost like this is why you be nice to people, right? Like going back to like when we're five years old, it's like, don't be an asshole because if you are as a vendor, if you are as a retailer, no matter how high and mighty you are right now, at some point when you need to make those phone calls, it will go worse if you weren't just friendly with everybody and had a good relationship with them. You know, and and I used to, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, everyone's trying to do what's best for their business, right? But you know, they're there are instances where that relationship takes precedence. And I, I had a client, um, a store at when I was at Helmet and I was running the men's sales at Helmet. And, you know, we worked with some of the big majors. We were with Barney, Barney's with um, RIP. Uh, we were with Nordstrom, you know, and so we're running big businesses. Yeah. And, you know, if I had merchandise that I could send out for a reorder, it's probably going to those bigger businesses, mm-hmm. right? But there was this small independent retailer who I just thought was like a hustler. He loved retail. He loved the Helmet Lang brand. He just embodied everything that I love about an independent retailer. He's right. in his store. He's selling to his customer. He gets that fee. I, I mean, it was just such a rich experience working with him because yeah. this is what retail should be, right? And he's that kind of example of the guy that's owning, buying, selling, cleaning the toilet, yeah. right? And if he called me and said, listen, Dane, I'm blowing out of this pant. I need to get back into it. I would shave a few off to make sure that he gets it right. right? Because I want the little guy to win. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And this is a good message for all the retailers out there is in the sense of no matter how small you are, you always got to ask. 
I was always shocked when I was on the wholesale side, like you were talking to stores and having them come to me at the very end of the season and be like, Oh, I had, I had a really hard time with this. Like you could have called, like I probably would have done something for you. So it's like, so I think sometimes as independent retailers, especially we undervalue the power we might have. You think Nordstrom could do stuff like that. You know, Neiman's can do stuff like that, but you don't think, you know, what if I try to just make a phone call or try to make some, something work with the situation we're in. And so with the trade shows coming, I mean, you know, I think we're both flying out yeah. to Vegas. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's a added incentive to go to Vegas. You get to hang out with Nick and myself. What do you think about the trade shows in general? Because I think there were some people, you know, in the last 12 months that thought, okay, this is the end of trade shows. Do we even need to go to trade shows anymore? Should I just get the line sheets and buy from the line sheets? You know, do I think that we will see a drop in trade show attendance, especially, you know, now there's some maybe a little bit more increased safety concerns yep. where we were feeling like there wasn't. Um, and, and by the way, obviously, everyone should do what is safe for them for sure. and their yeah. family. Once you, Yeah, once you've chosen the safe route, okay, like barring that. Right. But so I, I do think we will definitely see a, a more hybrid approach to buying, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, there's going to be people that are going to be buying maybe major seasons at a trade show and buying the in-between seasons off a line sheet, right? We're going to see kind of that hybrid um, viewpoint. But in terms of two things, building those relationships and discovering new product, the trade show floor is really where that happens. right? And so when we talk about those relationships, right? Um, we, we talk about how you connect with someone, you know, sometimes those moments come from sitting at a trade show booth or having breakfast with one of your vendors, you know, that's where those moments happen and, and discovering new brands. I I think we kind of were in a time where new brand discovery was tough, right? Yeah. Right. Um, you know, we wanted to stay with what was tried and true. We're in an uncertain time. But as things open back up and we're, and we're open, as things are picking up and we're in this boom, people are going to have a hunger for newness and freshness and cool new product and for a retailer to remain the authority on a curated selection. So, you know, there's only so many time you, times you could play your greatest hits until someone wants to hear a new song. Right. And not to mention, I mean... It, sometimes your brands that you've started with for 10 years ago get really big and that is a challenge in itself, right? You're now competing in a way against the brand. You know, your biggest, your most popular selling brands get so big. They want to sell more online. Their company's number one initiative is how do we sell more product online? And if you wait too long, you're forced to replace, not replace it necessarily, but you're forced to find the next thing. If you wait too long for that to find the next replacement of your number one jean brand, your number one dress brand, you're going to be in a tough spot because if all of a sudden that changes, you're going to be you know, grasping for straws just trying to find that next brand at the wrong time. Right. And I'll give you a perfect example of that. Um, you know, when, when I was at Lester's, you know, we were selling a women's brand that you know, we had kind of picked up at in, in an earlier phase of their um, business, yep. right? And it was a super hot brand. We got it when it was young and, and really built a great business with it. And then there comes a time where they're pushing it through their own sales channel, like you said. Um, they're pushing it through you know, their e-commerce and then the majors are carrying it, right? Yes. So especially if you're near any type of bigger store, we would often hear, I love this piece right here that you have in your store, but I'm going to look in Bloomingdale's to see if they have friends and family right, right. now. 
right? Um, so you you constantly have to. It's just the cycle of life. It, it's, right? well, it's a cycle of a brand, right? It's, right. It, it, like I think people are like, why are the brands doing this? And it's just this is just the life cycle of a brand. It's like being a child and becoming an adult. You start, you launch your brand. Then you get into some very select specialty stores that decide to take a bet on you. From there, you get into more specialty stores. Then eventually, the department stores find out. They come calling to you. Then because of the department stores, you have enough wide stream demand or mainstream demand that you can have a great e-com business. You can start taking it under house and getting more leverage on your margin and pulling out of the department stores and then repeat. So if you're not finding what's next, yeah. and you gave me a really interesting fact, and I don't know if you could share this here, I don't know if this is confidential information, well, but let's, let's hear what it is. I'm saying it. So <laughs> that a lot of your retailers, their top brands are pretty consistent. There, there are certain retailers. It's, it's not a secret. I mean, it's, it's something we talk about all the time. It's almost always your top brand is everyone else's top brand. The brand that you can't keep on the racks is not like the secret in Nashville, Tennessee, that all of a sudden the people in Nashville just love this brand. The top selling brand in all of our retailers, and we work a lot of retailers, pretty much in you know similar matrices will be the top five selling brands in every single one of those stores or pretty close to it. You swap them out a little bit, but it's crazy. Like if you're a top selling brand, you're a top selling brand everywhere. Right. And, and so there is something, you know, to get, to get a jump and to be a, a, a great retailer, you know, you have to be finding new brands and new right. life to bring into your store. And it's not just that. It's another interesting thing that I feel, and I'm curious your, your opinion on this is just the whole e-commerce thing. Because as e-commerce becomes more important and people have to list those things, if you're listing a product that the department stores carry or the brand carries, you're now going to compete with them in Google search. If somebody's searching for this pair of jeans, you now have to beat out the people that have millions of dollars to spend on ad spend for that top result. But if you're the only one in the country that bought that pair of specific orange dress or whatnot you're going to be in a much better state. Totally. Um, and, and I sh- I mean, me as a consumer, and this is completely anecdotal evidence, sure. right? But me as a consumer, I shop two ways, right? I either am looking for something specific. So I'm typing in, I'm looking for a pair of AG denim, right? Right. Or rag and bone denim. Yep. Okay. And Google search is going to give me what it's going to give me. Right. Or I really love a retailer Right. Um, And I'm going to their website because I want to see what their assortment is. Right. I trust their taste, their sensibility. So I'm going to their website because I trust that buying eye. Right. Um, But listen, e-commerce, you know, what what we saw happen in the pandemic, and and this was kind of like another area. If you went into the pandemic with a functioning e-commerce site, you had a huge leg up to get you through because whether it was doing great business or not, at least you had a mode of sales when your store was shut down. So we saw a lot of our independent retailers that, I mean, obviously when the stores were closed, the e-commerce took over a, you know, huge chunk of their business. Um, And then they probably leveled, you know, obviously they leveled back down, but they got a bigger share of that retailer's market. Right. Which is great. Um, But I think it's still a tough game for independent retailers to compete with some of these majors that that it, it's almost a price of doing business at this point, right? right? You need, a, and one, one of our um, retail experts, Joshua does a much better job of explaining this because he's, um, you know, he works with brands on really building out uh, independent retail sites. And, you know, if your viewers are interested, I, we could definitely link it over to him. But what, what 
his kind of approach to this is, is that everything you do is a touch point to bring someone into your store and your store is no longer just that physical brick and mortar store. So someone may enter through your social media. Someone may enter through your e-commerce. These are all doors to get into your store. Right. And the store is a brand like you as a retailer are now a brand. And just like I was saying, you know, if I love a certain store, I'm going to go to that website to shop it. I'm going to be following them on Instagram because I like the content they're putting out. And that's going to lead me into the purchase flow, whether that gets me off my butt and into the store, whether that gets me over to my if I'm just picking up my phone and typing in what I want to see or if it's linked right there. So I think we. I think the, the bigger takeaway is we retailers who are going to succeed are the retailers that don't just view themselves as I'm a four walls with a door and whoever comes into my store comes into my store. Yep. The days of that are pretty much over. Right. And it goes back to ba- very, where we just started, balancing that art and science. And that doesn't just mean in the four walls of your store. It's the same thing with e-commerce. It's the same thing with exactly what you're talking about. It's, it touches everything, let's say. And that's what I love what you're doing so much. And, you know, I, I've told you this time and time again, uh, and I can't speak to this more authentically or genuinely that, you know, outside of having the right product in your store, right, you need to have that close connection with your clients. 100%. Because that is the one place where you can outperform any other e-commerce business, any other store, you as a pillar of your community, as an independent retailer, as someone who understands your customer, you know, more than anything, I'll give you another great example. Okay. Um, at, um, when, when I was at Lester's, we used to beef up our inventory on white shirts surrounding spring concerts. Now this was a very local community thing, but the, but the school districts in Long Island used to have concert night and everyone would have to wear a white shirt. So come spring, like clockwork, everyone would come in. My daughter or son needs a white shirt. So we would have to have polos for the girls and polos for the boys and a button down for the boys or like a nice white blouse for the girls. But that is a very specific planning that needs to happen uh, from a community-based information, right? So Bloomingdale's is not setting their planning department up to, (laughs) you know, factor that in. It's like whatever white shirts we have is the white shirts we have. But us as a small independent retailer who is really tied with their community and then using a good clienteling service could then you get the right inventory in and you could call people and say, Hey, guess what? We know it's concert season coming up. Come get your white shirts. We just got our delivery. And they want to receive that call. It's not like, they're not like, Oh, "Oh, I'm so upset that they know last year's call. They're like, Oh, you're right. I need to come in. Absolutely. It's that's important of having that relationship. And I would say that even if Bloomingdale's opened across the street and put the same exact selection of white shirts there, there's no way those customers are going to Bloomingdale's over Lester's because they're not just going to get a white polo or a white shirt for concert season. They're going there because my mom got her white shirt here and my grandmother got her white shirt here and my grandma and so on and so forth. And like, how could I not go to Lester's and go there? That's the power of these relationships with your customers. Totally. Totally. So, um, so it, it's just, it's, I think that there is a really unique space right now for the independent retail. I think there's a really unique space for the entrepreneurs, for people who are passionate about retail and really want to build a retail brand. And that doesn't mean it has to be, you know, the hottest thing across the country. It could just be, you know, that 
incredible shop within a community that everyone loves and it kind of spreads from there. Yeah, absolutely. So just wrapping up here, I mean, you brought so many good points to the table. I think everyone's going to take a lot away from this. Um, What's one piece of advice, if this is top of mind right now with what's happening today, it's what, end of July, 2021, what's one piece of advice you can give to retailers to implement, implement in their business right now, be thinking about, be considering or taking a serious step back and thinking about, you know, going into the fall season. Um, can I give three? You can give three. I'll be, away. I'll you can be, give four if you want. I'll, I'll, I'll be specific though. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. um, one, I think people have to open their minds to marketing right now. Um, I, you know, we, we have a great partner that we work with um, who is, who's helping brand, brands with retailers with ad spends because that's a very tricky kind of... Super hard. Um, so I, I think you have to have retailers who are understanding their customer, really getting the word out and using social media to their advantage, right? So that's, that's one big area that I think really people need to kind of kick back in gear because now the competition's out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, two, you know, we kind of get back to that data, right? However you are going about it, you have to be looking at your business from an analytical perspective, right? You have to be, if you have a POS system, find the reports that you find most useful and you have to be looking at your numbers on a consistent basis. Um, one of the things that a, a retailer of mine does that I, th- I think is pretty brilliant is they do a weekly meeting where they look at the same metrics and they look what's trending and right. what's behind, right? So everyone's on the same page, they're looking at the same data, and they're able to then weekly take action item, right? Because if you're doing it once every three months, it's like, oh, when I remember, I'm just going to pull a bunch of data. It's like you lose the storyline. Yep. Right. So, um, you know, one of the things that's beautiful in our our management one's uh, software platform called Retail Orbit is we have a dashboard that opens every day on the five metrics that we think are the biggest metrics that you need to be looking at daily. Right. So what is your sales to last year and what's your sales to plan? Are your inventory levels above or below? Are you over? in markdowns or do you have some markdowns that you should be taking right now? How fresh is your inventory? Okay. Um, and then what flowed it flew in flow, how much inventory flowed in, in the month of July, right? So these are the five metrics that we deem the most important that you open that dashboard and they're there for you, right? Because data and looking at that data and being consistent with how you're looking at it and then taking smart action from it is so important. And I know it's tough, right? We're all in the thick of it. We're all running and doing, but if you don't set aside some time to really look at your numbers and plan ahead and get some, some, um, perspective on what those, your sales are telling you and what your POS system is telling you, you know, a POS system tells you what happened in your business Mm -hmm. and planning will help tell you what needs to happen going forward in your business. Right. Um, and then I forgot the third. So, <laughs> so there's actually just two marketing and look at your data, <laughs> right? Looking, looking at your data with consistency and, and with the future in mind. Right. right. Um, so th- those would, those would be my two. And, and I just would like to, to end at, um, you know, in, unless there's no other question, no. but finish it up. You know, we, a, a lot of retailers took an emotional beating over, um, you know, a lot of people, human beings. Well, yes, the the human race, but did. specifically retailers. But re, re, it was it was a tough right time, 
right? It, it was an emotional time. And for independent retailers who are owning their own businesses, their livelihood, you know, it was a really emotional time. But I think, and this is why I always love talking to you, um, because you have a passion for retail. And there is a, 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 a group of us out there, me included, that we love retail. We are passionate about the business. And there is going to be, and there are going to be opportunities for new great retailers to pop up and for historic names in retail to rebuild. Like it's, it's there, right? The boom is here, but like it's there and like we, we need to get excited about it. Yeah. And this is the best time. I mean, I would, I would think, I mean, it seems like there's been a lot of bad stuff and there has been a lot of challenging things, but now is the time, in my opinion, in the next five to 10 years, this is, I agree with you completely where we're going to see the next life of retail, especially independent retail. We're going to see great successes across you know, so many different things. And I'm personally super excited to see what's going to happen. And I think it's because of conversations like this, you know, it's people, like you said, that are super passionate about the owners of these stores, the people on the you know front lines, the salespeople themselves and uh, pushing it to the next level. I remember the third. What's the third? And we could go more into it if anyone's interested. All right. Hit me up. You give them my email. <laughs> uh, yeah, it'll be in the details. Start putting your cash flow over your profits. Cash flow over your profits. Right. So we had spoke about earlier how a lot of people went into the pandemic over leveraged, yep. right? So whatever your profits tell you on paper, right? You can Your accountant can look at your store and say, you have a great business. Here's your profit margin. You're walking away with this amount at the end of the year. But that is not taking into account, okay? That profit, end of year profit, is not taking into account. That's, the, that's your goods that sold, Right. It's not taking into account the goods that are purchased. That inventory that's just sitting on your floor. So you're saying be okay just moving it. Like if you need to promote, if you need to, if the end of the season, you need to mark it down in a week or a weekend promo sale, just get rid of it. Like well, get, I, I wouldn't say a week or promo sale, but sure. But like some kind of, yeah, be okay with the cash flow mindset over pure profit and margin and that, that, that alone, as opposed to looking at your, you know, true cash flow, you need to run your business. You hit it. You hit it. And making sure that cash flow is flowing seamlessly through your business is going to remove so many headaches, both from a personal perspective, from a business perspective, right. you know, and, and I think that's where a lot of retailers got into a sticky situation because they were over leveraged, right? So cash flow over profits, and there are a few other metrics in there. So, you know, head to managementone.com and you'll, you'll see some info on that. And then where can they find you? I'll put it in the show notes as well. Is the best place email? Is the best place LinkedIn, TikTok? Uh, we, we, I'm not on TikTok, Nick. Uh, I, I'm just a voyeur on TikTok. <laughs> I, I watch your videos. I'm a big fan, big fan. Um, but yeah, you, you could get me on email, which I hope you'll provide. Yep. And um, again, you could go to our website and there's a contact us page and you know, let's set up a call and I'd love to talk through your business. Awesome. Dan Cohen, everybody. Thanks for coming on. This was incredible. Thanks for having me, Nick. Thanks for listening to another episode of Retail Coffee Break. We'll be coming at you every single week with new retail news, retail strategy, and everything about how to grow your business during these crazy times. So have a fantastic day, and we will catch you next time.